0: So no matter how you're feeling today, no matter what's going on in your life, today the the, the coolest thing about Easter is that that was only the beginning. The cool thing is that as we go throughout these weeks, it's only the beginning of the adventure because we are Easter people. We are people that have seen and heard that Jesus is alive and for some reason, you're here today. For some reason, you came back for more, you're excited, you want to know the rest of the story or maybe you're here today and you're still just kind of checking this whole thing out. You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm coming, but I'm I'm not all in yet. I'm not really sure what this whole thing is about. And I just want you to know today, you're in the right place. You came to the right place. And we want you to know that there's a place for you here, even if you still have questions. Because questions and doubts are a part of our faith. And so one of the main questions that the Easter story raises as we're on this journey is, what now? Right? It's been a few weeks since Easter. We've been talking about some other things. Well, what now? What do we do after Easter has passed and we're on this journey? What do we do with the story? And so as we're going to find out today, we're beginning this brand new sermon series called Why Do We Need Church? Or Why Do I Need Church? And what we're going to find out today is that for the early followers of Jesus, their response to that question, okay, what do we do now? out of their response to that, out of their witnessing the resurrection, comes this beautiful thing that we call church. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. So my hope is that as we go through this series, the question will be less less about, you know, why do I need church and why should I go to church? And I'm going to share this with you right now, just a little side note here. I'm just going to share this with you. I was preaching... Uh, at our main campus in West Des Moines uh, a few weeks ago, and I, and I said the phrase, you know, why should I go to church? And for some reason in my head, you know, when you're, well, maybe you don't know, when you're speaking in front of a group of people, you think of something, and you're like, wow, I should say that. And then after you say it, you're like, I don't know why I said that. But what I said is, we should all over ourselves. We need to stop shoulding. And I just said that, and then I got a bunch of blank stares from about 2,000 people, I was like oh, okay, well, I hope I still have my job next week, you know? It's like, that didn't exactly come out right. But I meant it because we say should a lot. We should all over ourselves, and we need to stop shoulding. Why should I go to church? Why should I get in a small group? Why should I join a team? We say that all the time. And my prayer for us today is that we go throughout this sermon series, it becomes less about why should I, and it becomes why wouldn't I? Because I have this thing, this, this passion, this joy that's bubbling up inside of me, and I can't contain it. And it's, it's, it's different than obligation. It's different than duty. And so instead of asking, why should I go to church? I hope that our question turns to, how can I, how can you and I be the church? That's the ultimate question. How can we be the church? So that's kind of the roadmap of where we're going today. So the question for the early disciples and the question for us now is, what now? What do we do? And for that, if you could, if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, turn those open to our scripture for today, Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So it's right after the Gospels. It's going to be in the back third of your Bible. So the Acts of the Apostles. And so, much like us here today, in Acts chapter 1, the early followers of Jesus were gathered together, all in one place together, and as it turns out, they were eating. So I kind of imagine the picture, they're there, and they've catered in Panera, uh, you know, different bagels and things, because Jesus liked bread. Um, and so they're, they're hanging out, and uh, we see this in verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So picture the scene here. Jesus has just come back from the dead. A giant immovable stone has been rolled away, and a guy that was dead three days ago is now living. And what do the disciples say? Oh, not Jesus, you're so amazing. We're going to worship you forever. You're awesome. The disciples say, Jesus, what's next? What show are you going to put on next, right? If you imagine the picture here, I'd be like, Jesus, that was incredible. How did you do that? I don't know if I would be asking okay, what's the next piece of the puzzle here, Jesus? Uh, That was was cool, the whole stone thing, but are you going to restore Israel now, right? And so they're essentially asking, what's next? And Jesus looks at the disciples and he looks at all of us today and he says, you are. You are what's next. The show, I'm not here to do a show. I'm here to equip you and I'm here to empower you to be my representatives on this earth. And he says this to them in verse 8, and I think we have this up on the screen. Let's read this together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that is what Jesus says to them. And he just, I kind of imagine the scene here, and it's like, that's a pretty heavy statement, right? That's Jesus' final words. If you're never going to see people again, you want to make sure that your final words are really important. This is some of the last things that Jesus says, and it's pretty important. He just kind of lowers the boom on him. And he's like, This is your calling. This is your life role for the rest of your life. Then I just you know, imagine Jesus going up on this giant zip line up to heaven. He's like, Okay, bye. Hope there's no question. See ya. You know, I just kind of imagine the scene. And uh, But what is Jesus essentially saying to us here is, you're going to continue what I've started. You're going to continue to expand the kingdom of God on this earth to be light and to be salt, to be a city on a hill, to be a people, Jesus says, as my witnesses that other people would look at and they would look at your life and they would say, I want that. I want that, not just as a community, but as individuals, that we are salt and we are lights. So when other people look at your life, do they say, I want that? There's something about you, there's something about you that attracts me to you, and it's not your stunning good looks or your chiseled frame. It's the life that's living inside of you, to be a city on a hill. And the, the funny thing is, that was, that was God's original intention for Israel, That was his original intention. God has always been looking for a people to call his own that would represent him on this earth. And so if we kind of put the whole story in context, the book of Acts literally starts with a group of people on mission. That's how the church started. Go and make disciples. Go and be my witnesses. There is a movement to it. There is an action to it, not a complacency or a sitting and just being complacent with life. So the church starts as a group of people on mission. Not a building, right? Not as a just a worship service, but a, as a group of people that have a brand new way of life. And what does that life look like? Flip ahead with me one chapter to Acts chapter 2. You should got that in front of you. Acts chapter 2. We get a glimpse of what that looks like. In Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter gets up. He gives this speech which is just very visitor friendly and and very seeker friendly he stands up and says okay all you people um you're all the ones that killed jesus so you're guilty uh now come to faith so have a nice day right um so that was peter's sermon but somehow the spirit of god moves Uh, thousands of people come to faith that day and now i think the apostles kind of looked at each other and go oh crap i think we just accidentally started the church (laughs) right Because when the spirit of God moves, you can't control it because the church is God's idea, not our idea. And so they start to organize themselves. And we see in Acts chapter two, and let's start at verse 44. And it says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So right away in the life of the church, we we in just in this little passage, I wish we had more about it, but we don't. But we see three different aspects of merging of what it means to be the church. So we'll start and look at verse 45. There's definitely a, an outward focus to what they're doing. They're reaching those in need. They're they're working with the poor. Right? So there's an outward focus. And then in verse 46, they're meeting in the temple. So that's what we would call our weekly worship service, right? They did it every day. So you think an hour is bad once a week if the sermon gets a little long. Every single day, folks, they went to the temple, okay? So worship was a part of their daily routine. And finally, verse 46, breaking bread in their homes. And there, so there was this deep sense of community. So you might say in the early church lived a three dimensional life lived a 3D kind of life, focused up on their relationship with God and in in their relationship with others and finally out to the cities and to the world that they lived in. Up, in, and out. Say up, in, and out. Up. up, in, and out. So a 3D kind of life. And so just so we got it, just want to wake you up a little bit this morning, just kind of sit up in your chair a little bit, okay? We're just going to do a little movement. Some of us learn by doing, right? Right? Some of us learn kinesthetically. So just kind of sit up in your chair and just shake out a little bit, okay? Just shake out. We're just going to do some movements, okay? If you happen to be a cheerleader in a previous life, you'll, you'll benefit from this, okay? So it's up, in, and out. What is it? Up, in, uh, up, in and out. A three-dimensional kind of life that we live as, as disciples. So I was thinking about, so everybody go up, up, up and just kind of this, in, in. Out. out. Don't hit the people next to you, okay? Now how fast can we do it? Ready? Up, in, out. Okay, ready? Let's try it. Some of you failed at Simon Says as small children, I tell you. But you're going to remember that right now. Up, in, and out is the kind of life that Jesus has called us to live. And because it's Life Group Sunday, because we spent that time to introduce our leaders, we are going to highlight that in part other weeks we've kind of talked about the out and it doesn't take you long to be around city branch to you know that we do out a lot it's right there on that banner it says love the city and that's what we try to do every single week what we're doing right now is the up we're here we're experiencing that relationship with god but something that we often forget is that god has called us to be in vital relationship in with those people that are sitting next to you if you could right now i know that sometimes this is weird because we kind of sit like facing one way just, I, want, I just want you to turn, like turn your whole body and just look at the person behind you, okay? If you're in the back row, well, you can look at, not the wall, just, just stare at them, okay? Okay, now, okay, just turn and look at each other. That was the point, not everybody face the back wall. Turn and look at each other, okay? Look at each other, okay? And just stare at each other. Just stare at each other and just smile, okay? Just look at each other. It is my goal to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible this morning. Okay, you can turn back around. That's the church. That's the church. You're getting it. The church is not an audience, the church is you, the people. And the early believers understood that by meeting in each other's homes, by meeting daily in the temple. And so we're going to talk about what that in relationship looks like today because, after all, is your, isn't your relationship with God, I mean, is it, is, and, and with others, is it that important? I mean, we kind of talk about community a lot, right? That that word gets thrown around a lot. What's your social network, right? What is your community? Is it really that important? Well, maybe it is. Let's talk about coffee. Can I talk to you about coffee? Okay, let's talk about coffee. So here's my question for all of us. How can a company like Starbucks, I told you it was going to be one big commercial today. I don't even drink Starbucks coffee, but... We're on the commercial kick here. So how can, a, how can a company like Starbucks, I mean, think about this, a company that sells overpriced drinks, right? Every coffee shop does this. I'm not just singing out Starbucks, but how can a company like Starbucks that sells overpriced drinks, how is it that they hauled in over $9 billion of revenue last year, right? Think about that for a second. How does that happen? That's the question. They've got 17,000 stores in 49 countries around the world, okay, so get this, in the U.S. alone, in one day, okay, one day, they're going to make $4 million on a $4 cup of coffee, right? How is that? How is that 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 has become normal for us? How is it that we don't even flinch at that anymore, right? Oh, a tall mocha grande frappa dappa dupa chino, right? Oh, 535? No problem, right? Maybe Starbucks is selling more than coffee. How do they do it? The answer is, well, they're selling more than coffee. And why is that? If you go to their website, which I did a little bit of research, you know, we have a mission statement here at Hope. Well, Starbucks has a mission statement too, and I want you to listen to theirs. Their purpose statement, it says this, the Starbucks corporation exists to create environments to connect people so meaningfully that it changes the quality of their lives. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Amen, sister, I didn't expect that. Okay, listen to that again and see if you hear anything about coffee, okay? They exist to create environments to connect people so meaningfully that it changes the quality of their lives. Wow. You could just sub that in for the local church down the road and that would be a great mission statement, wouldn't it? Starbucks. Doesn't it make you want to go? I mean, I get excited. I want to jump on their bandwagon because what it does is it points you to the people that are behind Starbucks and they know something about you. They know something about you that maybe you don't know about yourself and they know something about me. And what they know about us is that we live in a land of loners, don't we? And what they know about us is that we live in over congested cities and we have an overabundance of friends, even on uh, Facebook. By the way, have you heard the average person has over 200 friends on Facebook now? Okay? I have 477. You can friend me later on. I don't need applause for that. That's sick. Um, but I wonder is that even possible? Is that even possible to have that many friends? Right? Can you have 477 friends? Right? Is that? I I almost feel like that word has been hijacked. And I, I'm I'm a fan of Facebook. I'm on it every single day. But can you have 477 friends? I wonder. Even though that we're connected more than ever before, the people at Starbucks know that we are vitally connected with very few. That we go deep with very few. In fact, one of the books that I'm reading right now is just tied in with this perfectly this this line that jumped out to me the author said he said we live in a culture of crowded loneliness crowded loneliness and maybe maybe that's you today maybe it's not but that's the world that we live in folks that's the world of the people that are sitting next to you and unfortunately many times i think those words describe our lives even with so many people around us we connect and we go deep with very few if any And so Starbucks is selling connectedness way more than it's selling coffee. And so for many of us here today, we long deeply for that connectedness, but we're not sure we want to go there. There's some roadblocks in front of that today, either because of maybe relationships that have gone wrong in the past, or even fears of, of, you know, what's going to happen if I actually let... Somebody see the real me. And so what happens is we just kind of ignore the in. We get the up. We get the out. We say, God, I'm here in worship every single week, and man, am I busy for you. But somehow we've ignored the in. We've ignored the third leg of the stool, this three-dimensional life that God calls us to live. And we pay a price for that. We pay a price, and for some of you, maybe the price you're paying is just that ache today that you carry around with you, and it just reminds you all the time, you're alone. You're alone. You're alone, and that's the reality that you live in. Or maybe for some of you, the, the price that you're paying for that loneliness today is just kind of a lukewarm, um, a ho-hum sort of plateaued relationship with God. There's really nobody around you challenging you to grow, or there's nobody around you asking you the tough questions. That passion, that fire that you had for your relationship with God is slowly fading, and maybe it feels like, I just had this image, maybe it feels like you're just a single piece of charcoal (laughs) at the bottom of a grill, and you're trying to roast a ribeye steak all by yourself, (laughs) right? You keep dumping lighter fluid on it. We keep lighting matches and we even have one of those automatic igniters and it just doesn't do anything because charcoal only works when there's a whole bunch of other pieces around it. It was never meant to live and to burn and to be a fire, to be on fire by itself. And maybe you today have forgotten what it's like. As the early followers of Jesus said in our scripture reading a couple weeks ago, maybe you've forgotten what it's like to have your heart's, burn within you. When's the last time you felt that about your relationship with God? My heart was burning inside of me. But you see, connecting people is not a new idea. In fact, it's not Starbucks' idea. It's God's idea, and he has an answer to this problem. God has had high on his agenda this third dimension, this inward life from the very beginning. It's the power of we. Because God knows that we need each other. We were not created to live this life alone. And I think as we look at Scripture, I believe God has two words for us. If you're sitting there today and you're thinking, no, this, this isn't really for me, I just kind of like the large group thing, and I kind of like just to be a face in the crowd and just remain anonymous, Right? God has two words for you today, and if to get those two words, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start at the beginning, and we're going to go through Revelation, and we'll be out of here by about 8 o'clock tonight, okay? So hang on. That's a joke, by the way. Some of you are taking me serious. Okay. Genesis chapter 1. Since the very beginning of time, God's been talking about connectedness. So it's a good place to start here in Genesis, and we're going to start uh, in Genesis 1, and we're actually going to start in chapter 4. So we got the creation account, and what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to read a few portions of this, and then you're going to have a response to it. So because Genesis was written for an oral culture, uh, that's how we're going to do it. So you're going to participate with your part. So right away, look at verse 4, if you got that open. It says this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. God saw that the light was good. God saw that the light was good. Okay. A little bit more enthusiasm. Instead of just saying good, okay, I want you to put everything you have into it. And I want you to say good. Okay. God saw that the light was good. There we go. Wow. It's like 800 people in here all of a sudden. Look at that. You woke up. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through some passages. And when you, when you hear your, when you hear your part come, then you know what to say. Okay. So I'm going to skip ahead verse, uh, actually back to verse three. And God said, let there be light. And the light was good. Verse 10, God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was Good. Verse 12, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and tree bearing fruit with all the seeds according to their kinds. And God saw that it was Good. Verse 17, God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was Good. Are you seeing a pattern here? All right? It's good. It's absolutely good. And I could go on and on and on. The goodness continues all the way down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was good. very good, right? So God sort of puts the triple explanation point. You know when you're writing an email and you put the triple explanation point, And it was very good, and God moves on. So let's move on to chapter 2. And here's where the surprise comes in. Genesis chapter 2. God moves on to the high point, to the the pinnacle of creation. He's created a marvelous, marvelous landscape of everything that we could ever want. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this: Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And so at this point in the story, you would expect, just like everything else that God had created, to hear God say what? That it was good, right? But the unexpected happens, and skip down to verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord said, it is not good. not good for the man to be alone. So what's not good? I think it's important that we clarify this. Is it not, is masculinity not good? No. Is being a man not good? Well, okay, clarification here. Now, I lived in a bachelor pad for many years, and God knows we need women, right? Can I get an amen from the ladies? Okay, we need help. But I think what God is actually pointing out here is Adam's aloneness. Is Adam's aloneness. It's Adam trying to do life all by himself. And so here's the scoop this morning. When God looks at your aloneness today, and when He looks at you with all your busyness and your super important schedule and all your social contacts and your social life, but also inside He looks at your deep loneliness, He looks at you and He says, Not good. Not good. Not, oh, that's too bad, or, oh, shoot, child of mine, I, I hope that you can fit me into your schedule, or, oh, that's too bad, I, I hope you can squeeze me in. now he just says, it's not good. It's not good, God says, because I created you for so much more. And not in a condemning way, not good, but as a father who wants to remind you that you were created to know others and be known by all, in, even in all your imperfections and everything that you're not, just as you are. And so the question is, Is that just a Genesis thing or is that a life thing? Is that a DNA thing that God has put inside of us? And so how do we know that this inward dimension of the triangle, this inward connectedness to others, how do we know that's important to God? Because he did it. (laughs) It sounds weird to say, but God had a small group. Okay, let me explain. So there's this guy named Jesus and 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what's the very thing that Jesus does as he begins his ministry? What's the first thing he does? He forms a small group, right? He went to hopewdm.org and registered. No, he didn't. He gathers a band of brothers around him, a group of guys to do life with. And as you read through the Gospels, this isn't just a God the Father thing. This is a God the Son thing. And it doesn't take you long to realize that these guys do life together. They don't just hang out once a week and do Bible studies because the word himself was living and walking with them and eating with them. And just picture that for a second. How much fun that would have been, right? What do you do if you hang out with Jesus for three years, right? Well, you cast out some demons and stuff like that. But other than that, what do you do when you hang out with Jesus? I can just imagine stories, and laughter, and fun. I imagine Peter saying, ah, oh, remember that one time when I was, when I was you know, falling into the ocean and Jesus picked me up? Oh yeah, he was the guy. You know, like just stories and, and, and fun and laughter. They did life together. They didn't just do a Bible study together. This group was their family. Remember the disciples left everything behind. They literally did life together. And so when we talk about community, if we're gonna follow Jesus' example, we're gonna do life together. Together And so it's no wonder that we call our groups that we talked about this morning life groups because that's our desire for you. This is way beyond a simple Bible study. This is way beyond filling in the blanks. This is way beyond watching a DVD and going through the motions or just getting through the lesson. It's about inviting people into our lives, which is exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2. So if you got your finger there, flip back to Acts chapter 2. When you really want to get to know somebody, when you're really good friends with somebody, what do you do? You invite them over. You invite them into your house. So back to Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And I think we have this one up on the stream. So what did the early uh, disciples of Jesus do? Let's read this together. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So first of all, They actually liked each other enough to spend every day with each other, right? They didn't get sick of each other, right? And this isn't like, wow, look at how disciplined, look at how amazing of Christians they are. They, you know, you say, oh, they don't have as busy lives as we do. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they just couldn't help it. Maybe they just couldn't stop talking about this guy named Jesus and how he would come back from the dead and how he had literally changed their lives and they simply had to share life together or they would have exploded. They couldn't contain it. And yeah, there was their time in the temple, what we would call our weekly gathering here, but when you start to do life together, you invite people into your home, which is exactly what they did. And apparently it wasn't just a social hour either. I mean, they really got after it. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I don't know what you see there, but I see the triangle. I see a three-dimensional kind of life. I see up, in, and out. I see people celebrating this incredible God. I see them loving each other. And then I see them doing life together in a way that other people kept saying, I don't know what you have, but I want that. There's something about your life, about your family life, about the way that you love your spouse and your kids, the way that you serve your neighbors, the integrity that you live with, the passion that you worship with. It's contagious. It's almost like you're a city on a hill the new Israel, the new people of God. And so the question is, does the way that you do life with the people sitting next to you today make others want to join in? Is it contagious? Or is your group so hidden and isolated that there's no way that it could be contagious? And yes, we need time to grow and develop intimacy inside of our group. But what about living 3D? What about living up in and out. What does that look like for you and your group? And I'll say it once and I'll say it again. The groups that go the deepest, the groups that are the dupes, (laughs) the groups that are the closest, the groups that have the most joy, the groups that go the farthest are the ones who serve who on a regular basis stop the huddle and play the game, who live their lives as a group and as individuals around their friends and around their neighbors who aren't connected with the church yet to a point where they, they almost become, I just get this image of a mosquito trap, right? Not that they're mosquitoes or they're bad or something, but there's this light and it just zaps them and they're attracted to it and they can't even put their finger on it, but they're drawn to the light. Does your group live in 3D? And so maybe for your group, you have to ask the question, what piece of that puzzle are we missing? Maybe for your group, it's the up, and you need to get centered on God's word because you've been, for the last two years, going to every hot book that's come off the shelf, but you're not grounded, and you don't really know the roots of your faith. Maybe your group is still working on the in, right? You're meeting all the time, and you've done 25 Bible studies, but you don't even know each other's stories. Maybe for you, it's the in, Maybe for you, it's easier to keep the mask on and to be a busy Christian, but you've been called to live a life of 3D, up, in, and out. And I love hearing stories of our groups. I love hearing stories about the life groups that exist. Groups of women befriending refugees and helping them move into apartments. Guys groups in in our men's group saying, I never knew that guys could go this deep. I never knew that guys could actually talk about more than just golf and the weather. Imagine that. All the way to couples groups being authentic enough to admit that maybe just because we're Christians doesn't mean our marriage has everything put together. What a lie that is. But you wouldn't know that unless you're rubbing up against other people. But it's hard to be 3D when you don't let yourself be known. When you're just a face in the crowd, when you're just a car in the parking lot every week. So what is it for you today? What is it for you? And I wonder, maybe it's not just about life groups. Maybe it's about life. Maybe it's about life. It's the fact that sometimes life gets pretty real. And I want to just share this uh, letter with you that I got a few months ago from a city brancher who has since moved away, but they were an active part of growing this church in the early days, and I think it's important for us to hear That maybe being in a group is not just a convenient thing, maybe it is a life thing. And I'll just read you some portions of this. It says, Dear John, I know it's been a while since we've talked, but I felt compelled to write to you today, and thank you for the time that I spent as a part of the City Branch community. It's been really hard not being with you all, but I'm learning to find community in our new home as well. But that's just it. I realize that the thing that I miss the most about the church is the people. Yeah, the music was always great and the sermons were okay. (laughs) Smiley face. But who we miss most of all is our small group. You see, during the year that we spent getting to know this group of other couples, we went through one of the most difficult years of our lives. The death of my father, discovering cancer in my back, and finally my husband losing his job. And maybe some of you can relate. I cannot even imagine making it through that year without my small group. Even yet, it's not just the terrible, it's not just the troubled times, it's the laughter, the game nights, the times of prayer in people's homes. And then here's the line that just arrested me. To think that we might have missed it. To think that we might have missed out. Thank God for the continued ministry at Hope, and I pray that others will be able to experience true community there for many years and they sign their name. To think we might have missed it. To think that getting our to-do list was more important than the people around us. To think that sticking to our busy schedules was more important than being open and real. And if that doesn't say it, if that letter doesn't say it, I don't know what does. And I'll just come right out and say it. I don't think that you can do hope without a small group. You can't do hope without a small group. I'm not sure how you feel about that. Um, In fact, I would disagree with that. You can't do life without a group. You can't do life without a group. Can you imagine where that person would be spiritually, emotionally, physically? We cannot underestimate the impact of people carving out time for meaningful relationship. And if I'm honest... As your pastor, I long for every single one of us to experience that so that we're not looking back 5, 10, 15 years from now saying, I missed it. I missed out on that third dimension of life that God created for me. And I know that because I know that I need it myself. And I love my group of guys on Sunday nights. I look forward to it every single week, even when I'm tired. They lift me up and they pick me up. And I love it the most is because they see me and they respect me as Pastor John, but they love me as John. Who loves you and knows you for you? Who is that person in your life? I don't know about you, but I need that, and that's my heart. And so my heart, and I just, I want you to use your imagination and I want you to imagine a church where no one stands alone. Imagine a church where nobody gets lost in the crowd. Imagine a place where nobody feels like they have to wear a mask. Can you imagine a church where we don't just sing and talk about love, we actually do it? Where we do the each others in scripture because we're living life with each other? And Jesus made it clear that this kind of church would get the attention of the outside world. And he says this in John 13, a new command I give you, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. And so maybe today for you is the day to love, but first, maybe it's a day for you to let yourself be loved. Maybe for the first time, maybe in a brand new way that you never have. The question is who's your group today? Who's your group? Let's stand together.